and welcome to Tigers by the Fire, a podcast out of Holy Cross High School about World War II discussions and stories. This is episode three of season two, and our story today is about the Black Shirts of Italy. This is an interesting topic, and our presenters today are going to be Paul. Howdy, I'm Paul. And Dominic. Sorry, I'm Dominic. And, they're, and again, they're going to be talking about the Black Shirts. The Black Shirts in Italy, it, it presents a really good discussion because most people only know about the SS or the SA in Germany. What a lot of Americans don't really realize is that the fascist movement really started in Italy, and it was mostly in the black shirts that laid the foundation down for what would happen in Central Europe. So I'm going to hand it over to Paul, who's going to lead us off. The black shirts started at around 1919 in Italy with the rise of the uh, aftermath of World War One and the signing of the Versailles Treaty, leaving Italy with little to no land that they were promised by the Allied forces, and instead given to Yugoslavia. Uh, of course, with the lack of land promised to Italy, Italians are not very happy with this outcome. So, what a lot of people don't realize too, to Paul's point, is that in World War One, uh, Italy actually sided with the Allies, and so they're actually on the winning side of the Versailles Treaty. Yet they still don't get the land that was kind of underhandedly promised to them for participating in World War One and creating a Southern Front for Austria and Germany. Uh, along with that, most uh, some of the Bigger World War One battles happened on Italian grounds and left the right land ravaged. So they wanted some reparations for the loss of land that they received. Yeah, and then the loss of life as well. It was you had a, a large scale mountainous guerrilla warfare kind of campaign that took place against them in Austria, where a lot of historians kind of equate to a meat grinder. Just people would go in and casualties would come out. So yeah, it's definitely one of those things, and, and I think that's interesting. Uh, the Versailles Treaty seems to be. For at least the Axis powers, one of the major catalysts for their discrepancies, and then a lot of times the rise politically. We saw that with Germany, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but continuing with the uh, aftermath of the Versailles Treaty, uh, at the time of the war and after the war, Italy was still a socialist-centered government with a lot of socialist policies, uh, other stuff. And of course, when a government isn't working as you want it to, you start an outcry. And most of the people in Italy, specifically people who would be black shirts or just uh, pro-fascism in Italy, would outcry against this. And this is when people such as grizzled war veterans and uh, young property owners decided to turn themselves over to a more right-leaning, right-leaning uh, political center. Important when you look at fascist movements, you know, communism usually goes and radiates in the lower class, uh, working class, fascist movements tend to focus more on the middle class and then pulling in that upper class. Yeah. Usually if a larger percentage of people, such as the middle class, go for a movement that will favor the upper class, of course the upper class will go with it. But there's also something to say that the lower class wasn't a part of the black shirts, just that really it started off with the middle to upper class people being irritated from the outcome of the first century. And I think too, as we, and we're going to dive, I guess, a little bit into this as Anadomic's about to take over. But the, the whole idea of fascism, right, is combination of nationalism with a kind of conservative value system. And so they're usually very anti-immigration, anti-widespread socialist policies, things like that. And so it's things that where people are seeing a lot of change that isn't working. This is something we might cling to, especially in a depression setting after World War One. So I'm going to turn it back over to y'all. So these people took an oath to uh, Mussolini, who uh, took an oath to Mussolini, who um, was also at the time a socialist in Italy. And um, 
after seeing the outrage of the Versailles Treaty, he also, this group, the Black Shirts, were also, at the time, they were switching over to, you know, we could be a better Italy. And so Mussolini and the Black Shirts kind of joined together, and Mussolini was the leader of this group. However, when given orders, they didn't really exactly go after him. They would go after higher lead, like the leaders in the Black Shirts specifically, who would also you know, take orders from Mussolini. So either way, they would just be doing the work of Mussolini no matter what. Yeah, and you brought up a good point. Mussolini started off as a socialist, like a lot of people, I think, in the late 1800s, early 20th century. And he kind of transforms into this fascist movement. And like you said, it was about creating a better Italy, right? And he romanticized past aspects of Italy like Rome. So I think that's another big part of it. Uh, most commonly, however, the black shirts were also not what you would expect of a normal, uh, not normal, a <laughs> uh, fascist group. Usually, large revolutions start with the lower class. You look at every revolution beforehand, and it's usually the, re- the revolution is started by a sort of lower class, or these lower ladder people in the social level. Uh, but in this time, it's the Grizzled War veterans that were still well respected in the Italian community, and the young landowners that are up and comers. So with this, you have a larger, larger amount of money into a revolution compared to other ones with the black shirts. And you can see this very easily with their uniforms as well. Uh, but aside from that point, these black shirts had one main goal, and that was to stop socialism. Socialism was their number one priority at first to eradicate completely because they thought that the socialists had their turn and it's time for them to not have their turn anymore. Uh, yeah, and your point made with the socialists, I think that's a that's a great point, Paul. Uh, because again, drawing the parallels to something more commonly known, that was what that was the Nazi Party's first major enemy were communists. And Italy is also a hybrid, got a weird government. It's got a king, as I know you guys are going to talk about, uh, and a yeah, and a parliament. And so it's got this weird hybrid setting. And so the black shirts are going to try and I guess offset what's going on there. So after getting this group of people including the Black Shirts, Mussolini had caused an insurrection inside Italy in which his group of Black Shirts would take over specific parts of Italy, mainly like ones of importance like Rome. And he would almost have this he would almost have the country put into a state of siege and he would hostage them. And so after he'd gotten his group, he'd taken at least Thirty thousand of the two hundred thousand black shirts, and he took them to march to the parliament uh, building in Rome. And after that, you know, King Victor Emmanuel, mm-hmm. he was like, "We're gonna. I mean, we can't fight these guys. We're gonna have to give them power." So he gives Mussolini the uh, role of prime minister. And I think this is kind of the, the reason for this, but um. I think the reason he did that was the king himself noticed that socialism is falling. Mm-hmm. You know, these people want a stronger Italy. And so this idea of nationalism and making Italy better could help them get into power and get noticed by the allies. Yeah. And Victor Emmanuel is probably more concerned about staying in power mm-hmm. in, in general. And I'm sure he also notices, you know, we, we talk about Mussolini and the black shirts only, you know, having about 30 to 40,000 members. But they have a huge following as well of 
they have a big PR kind of campaign. They have propaganda guys who go out in the streets. And so they have a lot of people who are also very invigorated by their movement. So I think that's one of the other reasons he kind of capitulates. That this whole time, especially with the black churches, Mussolini is acting like he has no connections with them either. And kind of like similar to this whole, you know, if I look good for the public and I lie, you know, I'll, I'll look good. It's kind of similar to what, you know, during the, uh, during the Jews of, uh, in Germany, when they were, the excuse was, oh, we're taking these people away to keep them safe. Kind of like the whole line politically to stay in power. Yeah. I mean, early on, like, like you're saying, like in the Holocaust, that, that was one of the excuses, you know, to, to deport Jews in the ghettos. And, and to your point, organizations like the Black Shirts, you know, I think you guys should, should highlight this a little bit. They do a lot of the dirty work that has that, that doesn't have to, it shouldn't have to take place. Like you shouldn't have to cause fights at your opponent's political rallies, but that's what they do, right? They do the, the dirty work. They get rid of political opponents. They attack newspaper writers. That's a big thing they got rid of. Anyone who wrote anti-Mussolini things, uh, they got rid of. And so I think that's a, another important factor that they contribute. Uh, yeah, but to continue on that point, black shirts were most definitely known for their extreme violence. Uh, one account had it to where when Mussolini uh, got into the point of prime minister and was passing a new law to uh, change up how Italian elections happened, he got all of their uh, all of the house together uh, for this vote. And although the people did want to pass this vote because he all knew that the Italian government was voting was flawed, it also did not help them that the black shirts were in there with guns drawn. Yeah, it's a little harder to cast an honest ballot with a. You know, some machine gun. gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Makes it a little difficult. And this very law is called the Acerbo law, uh, which would change how the Italian voting operated and would, funnily enough, keep Mussolini in power longer because he at this time also owned most of the seats in the Italian politics. There would be no kicking him out until either he resigned or died. Which he ended up dying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I think it's, it's interesting when you look at how this stuff works because there is some, a good deal of popular support that Mussolini does gather, and there are some elections, but I think we often look at any election he's involved in as a rigged one. It just seems, or, or, or if it's not rigged, it's coerced. Uh, yeah, unlike uh, Germany's elections and Hitler's uh, political career, uh, Mussolini, all, like most of the people that in Italy did agree that fascism was a better way to go than the socialists, but it was also helping that it wasn't an honest election. Um, unlike Hitler, uh, Mussolini did not have absolute fanaticism with the uh, with the Italian population, mostly just a few, Sim- more similar to Stalin, but also again a middle ground. Yeah, I think that's important to recognize too. It's also important to look at it like that because it shows you the difference between these characters. Where you look at how Stalin maintained control, and then how Mussolini maintained control, and then of course Hitler. There are degrees in which these totalitarian dictators subvert their populace and their degrees of support. And like you said, there's not as many radicals, right? You know, you didn't see as many average Germans turning on Hitler in 1944, while in Italy, large portions of the Italian military surrendered and they tried to get rid of Mussolini before we even got to Rome. So that's a very good point. You know, and going back to the whole, you know, violence in the streets, attacking news reporters and all that stuff. The fascists, especially the black shirts, they believe very much so, like, in if you can't back up your belief, 
then why even have it? And like they were very keen on that. So they would attack people who didn't believe in fascism or what they saw as an inferior belief. So a lot of the times what they would end up doing was sometimes they'd purposely cause these fights with mm-hmm. others so that, you know, they look bad. Yeah, the thing about fascism, too, is it creates a fanatical sense of if you're not with us, you're against us. It's for the cliche, right? If you're not with us, you're against us. And I know sometimes we talk about that in American politics at times, but here, yeah, they're saying if you're not loyal to the fascist party, you're not loyal to Italy. And that's a huge distinction, right? Uh, to that point as well, if you weren't with the fascists, at that point you weren't even Italian to them. And you were, and as we would, we'll discuss now, they were heavy nationalists. If you weren't Italian, you weren't important. And most of the, and if it wasn't for socialists and the communists that they were going against, it was immigrants. And, uh, black shirts were very effective at staring off immigrants with guns and their uniformity. Uh, but along with this, the nationalism that it was rooted on was their history in the Roman Empire. Of course, Italy contains Rome, the center of the Roman Empire. And with this, they thought the black shirts thought that they were doing uh, the reconstruction, the repurposing of the continuation of the Roman Empire, which we can see in their ranks as well. Yeah, and, and to that point, you know, the hatred of immigrants is, I mean, that's a, a fascist across the board. But it also shows you, Mussolini was a big history guy. Like He really did actually read a lot of stuff, and he was very big into Roman history in particular. And one of the reasons why some historians would talk about the fall of Rome is unchecked immigration. And so for a fascist movement to go against that makes a lot of sense. It's also in the context of the post-World War I world, where Eastern Europeans from you know the present-day Balkans are migrating to Italy for work, and, you know, they're going to say they're taking jobs away from factory workers. And so it's really easy to get disgruntled factory workers in support of anti-immigration stuff when they're largely becoming unemployed. And as we know, World War I veterans weren't actively employed by anybody. So that, that, that helped his rise, too. More about this, like, whole national view on Italy. When you look at something like them conquering other lands because they believe that they deserve them, go back to when they tried to conquer land in Africa, in which they went against the Ethiopian army. Now, they saw these people as, you know, as one of those people, you are against us. And so, even though there was a law at the time, it was called the um, Geneva Protocol in 1925, which was taken to not use mustard gas on people. But either way, they didn't care. It was for Italy. It was for making them better. So, that's what they, that's the measure they took. Yeah, that, that's the uh, so big World War II trivia question too. Is which which of the which of the Axis powers used mustard gas? And it's, it's Italy, uh, and they used them on Africans, which also shows you uh, eugenics, racial ideologies, because they looked at Africans and not Italians in general as being less, but Africans as being less as well. And Ethiopia, a lot of people forget too, you know, they're fairly well funded. They do have modern technology. They have British weapons and stuff like that. But yeah, they, they come into Ethiopia and take it over because it was one of the only places in Africa that had not been colonized by this point. So, you know, that, that's where they went with that. And, and that was also an expansionist mindset, which also goes into fascism. So the black shirts, going back to how they really romanticize on the Roman Empire, a lot of their ranks can be seen to be similar to that in the past of the Roman Empire. So they would have zonas, which were divisions, legions, which is 
a regiment, a court, which is a battalion, sentries, which were companies, Manapala, which was squadron, which was squadron. Each, each one could rise into a different one based on having three different, or three of the same ones. So like, if you had three squads, you could break up into a platoon. And this was based off of the idea of a triangular principle. And also their special militias would be things like forestry militias, frontier militias, highway militias, port militias, and so on. Yeah, so this thing really exp- expands into a military apparatus at a certain point in time. Uh, which originally it's not really, right? It's just, you know, it's kind of a political arm, a militia arm. So. Yeah, it wasn't supposed to be organized like a military, but instead more of a, a revolutionist movement, you know? A bunch of people are angry about the government, but now after they had taken over a large portion of Italy by force, they organize themselves with the more people that are doing. And again, to reinforce the fact that they're bringing back the Roman Empire, why wouldn't they replicate Roman Empire empiric, uh, Roman empiric practices? So when you look at the black shirts, like I said before, there's a lot of comparisons you can make to the Nazis. And so I kind of wanted to ask you guys, you know, what similarity differences do you find with them and say like the SA or the SS, or are they somewhere in between? How do you kind of view, view them in comparison? So Similar to the SA and SS, although the black shirts did come first, uh, the S, uh, not that good. the black shirts were sort of a combination of the two. They had the uniformity and the professionalism of the SS with the black clothing, the pins, uh, the same hats, the same boots, everything. But they also had the dirty work, uh, kind of buggy, uh, personality of the SA, where they, if Mussolini needs someone dead, they're, they're dead now. There, there was no competing against that. But it wasn't like the SS to where it was so selective. As long as you were a breathing Italian, you could have been a black shirt. <laughs> yeah, the SS had, had some pretty restrictive criteria. And uh, to your point, the SA was used, for those of you who don't know, was used in Hitler's rise to power. And very similarly, right? They did all the dirty work. They would go to political rallies of the opposing factions and cause fights. So the newspaper article in the rally is fight broke out, right? And so that's that's the thing. I think that's a good point. And you hit on the the idea that they were very well dressed and very well organized. And I'm curious, why do you think that's the message they want to show Italy? Why are they so well put together? Of course, if you don't look at a group of people that aren't organized and think this is a new one to be a part of, especially when it's something so radical. So when people are well dressed and organized. They look more professional. They look like they're actually leading something. It's not a bunch of people spouting out something without knowing what they're spouting out about. When you look at someone who is completely uniform with the person next to him that believe the same thing, that think the same thing, then you think that everyone thinks the same thing. And now you're starting to think, what do I think of the same way these guys do? Do I think the same way these guys do? Are these guys correct? Yeah, then it, it leads into, I guess, mob mentality at that point where you start to follow the the leader in some ways. Um, and, and again, I think people naturally want to feel a part of a group. And if that group looks special and appears special, it's going to make you feel special in some ways. So um, now I, I think another major comparison too would be, I mean, the SS, especially when dealing with the Holocaust specializes in exterminations and things like that. While the black shirts, nothing to that level. Yeah, the 
black shirts were never, other than the European war crimes, they weren't really the type of people that go on mass murdering sprees, but only select individual killing of specific groups of people that go against Mussolini. Yeah, so it's again, it's like a political apparatus, a little bit more so. And again, that also shows you the significance of what went on, obviously, in Germany. Uh, but unlike the SA, the black shirt, or more like the SA, the black shirts were more, more willing to get their hands dirty than the SS were. The SS were supposed to look professional and more organized compared to the SA, which would do all the underground stuff that you wouldn't want to look at. Yeah, and that's why Hitler got rid of the SA. Uh, with the night along knives because they were looked at as like the like you said before kind of this uh street yeah street gang type group and you get the ss that's the professional hey we're now elected officials type type group and so that's one of the reasons why hitler got rid of the sa and, and to your point it seems like the black shirts adapted over time to fit whatever mussolini's needs were i was actually also going to talk about the fact that when you look at these two groups it also feels like you know, once all of the elections for fascism had stopped and Mussolini had officially come into power, it's almost, again, and it comes into what you said about the black shirts being like, you know, meeting Mussolini's needs. He didn't really need people to come in anymore and, you know, kill targets, like, especially people who blamed them for, you know, rigging the elections and stuff like that. He didn't need that anymore once the elections were done and he was in power. There was no one to oppose him anymore. Yeah, at a certain point, they don't even have elections in Italy. They outlaw all the other political parties, and he's just essentially a dictator for for life. Um, so I know uh, you guys want to talk about the legacy of the black shirts, so I'm going to turn it over to Paul and let Dominic go in after. So at around 1943, towards the end of World War II, was kicked out of power by the Italians after you know, after long years of suppression of politi- other political ideologies and the downward spiral of Italy at that point. So after that, fascism doesn't just die there. It's an ideology that obviously lives on in other places, specifically shortly after in Britain with the Sir Oswald Mosley's Union of British Fascists. And similarly, they're protesters that protest for fascism after the World War II, but Unlike the black shirts, they're not as violent. They're not committing atrocities or war crimes. And they don't actually get in power. Yeah, and they don't do anything. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, So, Dominic, do you have anything? So then there's also the legacy of, you know, Nazi Germany, which also, in I mean, when you look at fascism and then Nazism, you see a lot of similarities, especially in the sense of this old, this old version of us. When you look at Nazis, you see the whole idea of Aryans. You know, like, we were once these great people, we were perfect, almost, and now we've fallen because of all of these. Now, I, I think that the SS and SA go, or, sorry, Nazism goes more towards a religious purpose, especially like, you know, us Christian Germans are better than the, the or the Jewish people. While when you look at fascism or Italy's fascism, you see more of a political sense in fascism overall compared to socialism, communism, liberals, all that stuff. You see that they believe in their politics more than they do in a religious. 
Yeah, I, I think the that's the phenomenon too that we're I know we're gonna talk about in another podcast of Nazism is that it had a semi religious connotation. I mean, you had people who all the way up until the nineteen nineties when you're interviewing you know Germans who were living back then who maybe had interacted with Hitler and they get like smiles on their faces when they talk about it still to this you know, till that day that now. But it's crazy to think about how ingrained it was. And I know Paul had kind of touched about this a little bit. But after the war, this is going to take a while to get out of people's heads. Um, most of the time we talk about the denazification of Germany. Italy has to have a de-fascification right, uh, of their country. Um, it also leads to another surging of Italian immigrants, too, coming to the U.S. So, uh, is there anything else you guys want to add? All right. Well, hey, it was a good conversation. And this is a, this is a really good topic because it's not one that a lot of people have thought of. So thank you for listening.